You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I pushed the button, Bracken. You pushed it real good. We've chatted for 15 minutes before pushing the button, and now it feels so official, doesn't it, when I push that button? You know, something changed the moment you pushed that button. <laughs> what changed for you, Bracken? I don't know. I guess maybe you have to be on your best behavior. Yeah, well, we'll tighten it up for the audience here today. Um, I had no idea that you raced this weekend until you told me just before we started recording this. So you, you ended up, I was, I was really excited to push you towards Highlander Assault, mm-hmm. and you seemed skeptical about doing it. And then you ended up doing it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't want to get excited about it because I felt like it wasn't my call to make. Lisa was five days out of surgery. How is she doing? How is she doing, by the way? She's she's moving forward in leaps and bounds now. She's at that dangerous point where she feels good, but she's not healed. Where you you can hurt yourself because you're not being careful. That's where I'm at right now with my hand. Yeah. I go in for my checkup tomorrow, and I think I'll get this thing taken off. I, I have this big bandage that looks very dramatic around my hand. Yeah, it looks like a, a hand wrap before before he's about to put his boxing gloves on. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things. So Lisa at like 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock on Saturday afternoon said, just go get excited and go race this thing. It's mm, a good wife. Do you really want me to? She said, yes. I think you should go do it. So I said, all right, I'll do it. And at a probably... 8.15, I'm laying down trying to help get kids ready for bed. And my desire to go drive hour 40 to go race in the dark was at 0%. Oh, I didn't know it was that far for you. Yeah. And yeah. at 8.40 at night, like you should be unwinding, shutting it down for the evening. But my eyes were tired. My They were getting heavy. I, they were burning. I just didn't have any desire. But I had already packed my bag. That's why you had to go do it. So you and I talked off mic about... I'm going to race myself back into shape. And I approve. My fitness is very lacking, and there's not a single better workout you can do than a race. I agree. So I went and did it. And? It was fun. It was, I mean, by the time I got there, I got there at like 10.07 or something like that because Mm -hmm. roads were closed and a race starts at 10.20. And so I went into my 12-minute scramble mode warm-up routine and then ended up bumping the race back like eight minutes. So I got, I got probably like 18, 20 minutes of warm up from the time I got out of the car till the race went off. So I was, I was loose and sweaty, but you had to warm up with your headlamp on because you couldn't see the crowd. That's a weird situation with this race. Was there like stadium type lighting or flood lighting? Yeah, they had some festival lighting around the festival okay. area. That had to be, I, I just, I can't imagine walking into a festival area at night being dark. We're used to the morning walking yeah. into a race and it's kind of dark, but you know, the light's coming. So it's all good. But knowing darkness is upon you and you're about to race when you normally would be asleep because this didn't start till what, 1030 at night? 1030. What the hell, man? <laughs> Out in the middle of a field. That's bizarre. And then you off down a gravel road and then you turned into a field, turned into a motocross course and then ran through there in the woods. Okay. So how did it go? It went, honestly, it went well. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I'm at that place that I found out real early that I can run a workout, but I can't, I can't tip over in a race because my world just implodes the moment I tip. I had no ability to redline. So this was, you talk about tempoing a race, this was tempoing a race. I was either at 160 or I was at 185. If I hit 161, it went right up to 180. Like there was no in between. I actually understand that. Um, so you ended up on the podium though. Yeah, I took third. Uh, we were all tied with a quarter mile to go and I took third. So you got the short end of the stick there. I did, but I, that's where I deserved to be. Those guys are, outworked me before the race started. And so they deserved to get the podium above me. And this guy who won, Robbie, he's an up and comer. Okay. He's going to be pretty good. He took in the teens at Jacksonville on Saturday at the U- on Sunday at the U.S. National Series race, but he took top five the day before. I actually think he podiumed. Didn't he podium in Jacksonville on Saturday? He may have. And then he missed his spear in the National Series race and got, and got his tire. He said he immediately got it. Hmm. He said it was something like, I don't know, like 12 seconds or 18 seconds in and out on the tire. Ridiculous. So... He was a spear throw away from a top probably eight finish in Jacksonville on Sunday. So he's a legit up-and-comer. And uh, and then Jordan was was second. And like I said, we were all – we entered a barbed wire crawl tied with about a quarter mile ago, maybe 500 meters. So this is as good as I could ask for. Yeah. All right. You've been – it's like we talked about me for a few – like a month or two there with racing and da-da-da, and now it, the tides are turning to you. I always know once racing season is upon, there's going to be some weird, crazy jump in fitness all of a sudden. And you're going to be like two weeks from now and you're going to pop a workout and be like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I did this. I'm glad I jumped in when I wasn't sure I was ready. I'm glad I put my foot to the flame. So, yeah, we, we had talked that for about eight weeks here, I want to do just volume building, strength work and volume building and get all of my quality work from races. Yep. Just going to jump in a local race. I mean, every weekend, if I can, if not every other week and everything else is just going to be aerobic volume and strength work. How do you think you stack up against the, um, the U S national series lineup of guys right now, based on what you currently right now, I'd I'd be struggling. You think you're in worse fitness than you were in Jacksonville when you hurt your calf? Oh yeah. Yeah. Jackson, Jacksonville, I was getting actually fit. I was matching times and workouts from 2017, 2018. Let me read right. off something for you here. So Jacksonville was what? February 20 something. 20 or something. Since then, here's been my volume. 0, 0, 0, 2.9, 10, 7, 18, 5, 21, 7, rolled my ankle, then 2, 7, 0. That's been my volume since Jacksonville. What's 2, 7? 2.7 miles. When was that? Well, that was the race. That's how my GPS picked up. I accidentally beeped it. Oh, so you didn't run at all last week other than the race? No, I, I ran the week before I raced Saturday, and then I ran in the race. Because my ankle was too jacked up still since the, the, God, the race prior. Second. I didn't realize. So you didn't run all week and then ran a race? Not a step. Oh, man, you are underselling how badass you are. I had no idea. I mean, we're close. I had no idea you were running that little. I think I've run less than a dozen times since Jacksonville. Oh, my goodness, Bracken. You took third against some good people, and you were in the race. I had no idea. You're going to be fine. I mean, I don't want to sit around here and make excuses because we harp on people's excuses, but I am literally out of shape. <laughs> I had I had no idea. I'm not joking that you're going to put a whooping on me on this workout coming up this weekend when we get together. Well, now, I, uh, now I'm wondering if I should – I didn't realize you were running so little, so maybe I need to read, read Jake. 
rejig the format. All right. No, no, no. They're a trial by fire, Kirk. This is what I'm going for. All right. As long as you're healthy, Bracken, I don't want, you know, pay now or pay later. It sounds like you've been paying now. So. I'm very healthy. Ankle held up throughout a, a nighttime trail race. So I'm healthy. What do you think of, um, what do you think of the race results this weekend? We had Savage Race. We had Montana. Uh, we had Highlander Assault drawing all the big names from the Midwest. <laughs> what do you think? It, was, it felt like another real weekend of racing. Having a Savage and a Spartan on the same weekend was really cool. Cool to see an ultra. Uh, Kempson's really, really good. He won by a minute, Savage Race, I believe. Beat Woods by a minute, and nobody failed anything. And Killian was like three minutes behind Woods, which which we know he's Killian's coming into form as he does as the season progresses. But three-minute gap shows how fast Ryan and Ryan ran. Yeah, and, and watching it, because I got to commentate it, I got to see every step that everyone else got to see. And Woods looked like Woods. He was running hard. His stride looked like you'd expect it to look. Kempson was just uh, a notch above, and that was really mm-hmm. impressive to watch. And the women's field was decimated by the last rig. Yeah. Who came into the rig first? <sighs> I think Rachel Crigliano might have been first coming into it. But she didn't even finish in the top three. No. No, at one point there were seven girls standing there. Two of them were sitting on the ground just waiting for grip to come back. Tiffany Palmer. Snuck through, not snuck through, <laughs> completed the rig, and then won by probably 10 or 12 minutes. What position did Tiffany come into the rig in? She was probably third. So she was in the podium spot. She ran in second and third spot the entire race. That's crazy. And crazy Miranda role. Kyle Pinsky um, was the class of the field. She outran everyone from the start and then got hung up on something for like a minute and then ran back into it and had a chance to still win it but couldn't get through and wound up second or third third i think she's she's someone to watch she looked she looked a notch above everyone else running wise she's a younger one too if i'm not mistaken a young blood yeah not not like like 18 or 20 but she's not she's not like one of the ogs in the game by any means yeah and then you saw it in montana um first of all the big thing i don't know why we're gossiping about race results it's not our thing but um today's kind of a bullshit uh, episode as you'll come to find out but um, Rylan Schladig, Schladog, something like that, beat Ian Hosick and won in Montana. And that is his third race ever. He won the Beast by two, two plus minutes. And Ryan is a, Rylan, I believe Rylan, sorry. Rylan is a guy, he took third to me in Vegas on Sunday. And I thought I had run a good race. I think I was within 45 or 50 seconds of EJ. And there was this kid off of my shoulder who I had no, I didn't, he was in soccer shorts. Like, you know, like he wasn't wearing the typical gear. And Rylan, I'm sure some of you saw the results and are wondering who he is. He won the age group on Saturday in Vegas, first race ever, and then came up on Sunday morning and said, hey, I won age group yesterday. Can I get bumped up to elite today? He got a last minute bump up and ended up on the podium in Vegas. And I think he was 30 seconds behind me, but like a very, like he beat Matt Rock. He beat some, beat some very good names and then goes out. And I'm going to say puts an impressive showing in Montana as a young guy. He's like 21. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know what Hosick's fitness is like right now, but we know he's a, a longer distance specialist. He would choose a beast over a sprinter super and it's semi mountainous on this course. And it's, this is the closest course to his home. This is his backyard. And Rylan went out and took it right to him. I saw a video of Rylan running and he had the long compression black tights on and no shirt. And if you watch some of the movements, it's very Atkins-esque. 
Really? He's a little bigger on top. He's not your quintessential runner, but he's got this like stride in those long tights that looks like functionally like, I don't know, sound. And so he might be a guy like I, we talk about young gun VJ Jones. This guy's the same age and he just put a hurt on the whole field. And his third OCR race ever, as far as we can tell. Third his second OCR. elite. Yep. And, um, and we talked last week about John Penland sort of being one of the younger guys and kind of going under the radar and where's this next crop. And um, this guy might be impressive. Very humble when I chatted with him. Very new. Like when we crossed the finish line in Vegas, he looked around like, what do I do now? Where do, how, this is, what is this sport? Like he was, you know, big eyed and bushy tailed at the finish line taking third place. So um, that's really cool. He's going to be somebody that we need somebody to come into the sport, you know, some new eyes or some new talent. And so I think it'll be interesting. I was very interested to see that because I ran hard on that Sunday. I ran really hard. And to have him be 30 seconds behind, I was like, who is this schmuck that I don't know? And then to see him go out and beat Hosick just shows like, hey, this guy's the real, potentially the real deal. So Yeah. And on the female side, it was the exact opposite. It was like, oh, geez, unite. Callie yeah. is back out on course. Alyssa won the super. Mm-hmm. All these... I, there were there were probably like eight names that could date back five years and be at home on any course within the last five, six, seven years. It was really cool to see that. That's so true. And on the men's side, it was James Nair on the podium, a younger mm-hmm. guy, Rylan, Ian. Yeah. Huh. Cool. Well, some takeaways from the weekend, Kirk, of racing across the board. There's a, a guy I know that ran a marathon. There is, I had several athletes racing this weekend. Anyone who didn't nail their race all gave me the exact same takeaway. Okay. I made it about three quarters of the way through and then the wheels came off. Yep. I heard the same thing. I had, I had a number of athletes that were very successful this weekend, age group winners, very proud. And then there's the whole other camp where they felt great until they didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you make of that? We did a, an episode about mental game. A while back and one of the things we said is that after a good off season of work you have this new level of fitness and sometimes it causes you to blow up because you go out and you lean into that fitness a little harder than you used to lean into your old fitness so mm-hmm. you were you may have blown up but you were faster up until you blew up Sometimes unlocking a new level fitness, it's it's tough to wield that new power at first. It's tough to, now I'm in range of a new group, I'm going to go with that group. Now, some of the people I work with, they're coming off injury or coming off of setback, and they just, they knew coming in, I've got eight to 10 miles of fitness in me. I don't have a half marathon of fitness, and the cards are going to be what they are. But other people, I think there was a bit of a case of, I'm just a lot better, and now I need to learn my pacing with my new level of fitness. Well, and you also have to layer in the fact that if we're talking Montana specifically, the up, down, up, down just kills people. No matter yes. what fitness you're in, even if you are prepared for that duration on feet, the last third of the race, it's damage control, no matter how good you are. If you're racing that race and attacking that race, the eccentric load combined with the climbing right away afterwards, rinse and repeat there's no way you finish that last third and feel good. Right. So even at your fittest, so it's like a, it's a compounding interest thing uh, in a, in the case of an athlete who isn't prepared to handle their newfound fitness, it's, they're going to burn so hot that the crash is going to be even more epic at the end. 
And do you know who I thought of this weekend when I was watching some of these longer races or late stage races where there were some some significant hills for the some of the trail crew and significant obstacles late in the race for both at Savage and in Montana. There was a mile long, basically grip and strength gauntlet in Montana. I thought of Fred Clary. <laughs> really? Yeah, because you had a lot of really good people out there. Ian Hosick, for example. He's really good. He's established and proven in the mountains and over the uh, half marathon distance. And everyone seemed to fall apart around the same time. And I don't think it was coincidence that when you were depleted from the mountain running and starting to be less fresh, that the obstacles took you over the edge or the late stage hills took you over the edge. It was that that phenomenon that he talked about that without good mitochondria training, it's hard to recruit muscle fibers late in the race with power without it cracking you. Mm. I wish I would have seen that live, like played out to see, because I know Ian, I believe led the race until, um, for example, he'd be actually case in point of what we're talking about with our, with the athletes. I believe Ian led the race for 10 miles and then bled two and a half minutes out in the last, what, sixth of the race. So case in point. Yeah. So what, so what do we make of all that then? So what, when we talk about stay power, we talk about beast fitness, we talk about the ultra, um, like, what do you, what do you give as major takeaways as far as how to fix that problem? Well, my first takeaway is just relax. Everyone pump the brakes because it just turned in May so early. And we got into this culture where it feels like it's later mid season and it's not even yeah. close. Yeah. If you have really good eight to 10 mile fitness by the end of April, that is a really good launch point for the year. Really good. So I say you take the win. I raced eight to 10 miles really, really well. And I came up three to five miles short. So yeah, that's frustrating, but take the win. That's a really good place to be in. But then the second one is that some people, either because of injury, total volume that they can't handle yet at this point in the year, or lack of structure, aren't getting quite enough stay power and long work at this point of the year. Yeah, and it, it's not a death sentence for your season if you happen to bonk the last half of a race right now. It is so early, and everybody's so excited to race, and everybody's been counting down the days, right, until we can have a season. We have it, and it's finally here. So it seems like we're in the thick of it all, and we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So I agree with that. And in the case of Montana in particular, like you talked about the up-down, up-down, there are two types of mountain racing. Mm-hmm. There's the type where it's a West Coast mountain or a sky race, some sky races where there's a lot of up and then there's a lot of down. And you might have a second or third big climb, but then it's a lot of down to the finish. Mm-hmm. And if you crack, it's because of nutrition or fitness. But in a, then, then the other type is a Montana style race where you are constantly up down. And so there is no, I just have to finish this last big climb. And then I've got 30 to 40 minutes of, I just got to make it to the bottom. Like you're calling upon all your strength to climb again and again. And you might be five minutes from the end of the race and you're still climbing. So I you, think the repeated climbs are the toughest style to finish a race. I think the up, down, up, down uh, at race effort is harder than the big up, big down style of, of format because you're just, you're climbing. Usually in those up, down, up, down races, the, the transition from up, down is very sharp. Like, you're going down at 30% grade, and one second later, you're going up 30% grade. There's no transition period, so you're always fried, and you're always hitting that stuff at like high heart rate. It's just like a tough, 
a tough deal that you have to be ready for. I would, I would take a long slog up and down as far as like mental suck, uh, over up, down, up, down for sure. Do you and agree with that? Absolutely. And, and I, I think it rewards different skill sets, but again, that ability to not be able to say, all right, I have a big climb here, a big climb here. And then my climbing's done. The power is no longer needed. Now something else is needed. You never get to say that in Montana. It's needed all the way through it. When you're at your most depleted, you still have to climb. Right. So that's one thing that, and, and then I think the takeaway from that is uh, course recon, a 13 mile race with 5,000 feet of vert doesn't tell you the whole story because it might come on two climbs or it might come on 22 climbs. And that difference is a massive dis- difference in how you would structure your workouts to prep you for that. Yeah, for sure. I am. Um, I heard two sort of common themes from my athletes. I had maybe a dozen athletes racing in Montana for some, it went off without a hitch. I mean, perfect execution, training, lead up, nutrition, sleep went out and they, they suffered, but they suffered within themselves. Right. And they ended up doing very well at a number of winners. And then there's a whole camp that, that fell into the place that you're talking about the, the third, last third blow up or not, you know, not happy with how the race ended, maybe happy with how it started. And there were two themes. Two of my athletes said that they were power hiking and the people in front of them chose to keep the running form and they had always gapped them. So two said, I kept resorting to power hiking when I know where I should have been running and that's where the gaps got created. So that was theme one. And then theme two was this stupid, jovial, novice hydration fuel issue, which I want to slap everybody across the face who's even remarkably using that as some sort of excuse for a poor performance. Ian Hosek himself, for example, and some of my athletes. I didn't bring enough, or I was in such a hurry I forgot, or I didn't take water. Those were the two things. So one is a mental lapse, right? Take your your nutrition and your hydration is, is ultra endurance 101. We've preached that enough on this podcast if you listen. Don't get behind on that shit, right? And then two is this whole... I, I, power hiking when I should or could be running situation. And that's something I actually want to dive into a little bit, which we didn't talk about beforehand about addressing, but what happens Bracken when you're in a race and you're running and you decide for the first time to power hike the first time you decide you could be an hour into the race and you cave somehow and you power hike. What happens after that? You power hike again and again, and each time you start earlier. Exactly. Pretty soon you're running 10 strides and power hiking a hundred. Right. And you completely self-sabotage and it's a mental lapse. It's like once you start it, it only continues to get more and worse. And it's something that you should think about in your race. Like anytime I've started a power hike, that's been a sign for my race to go south every single time. And I resort back to that as like some sort of comfort, comforting blanket when I know I shouldn't be. And it's tricky. It's very difficult to balance that line because if you and I were running on the flats in a race against each other, and if you were starting to outrun me on the flats, it's like I can either accelerate and hold on, or I can let that gap go a little bit so that I can stay within myself. But it's the only difference is maybe cadence or maybe effort. Mm-hmm. And the gap grows a little bit, but then as soon as you start feeling better, you just pick the cadence up or the effort up a little bit. On a hill, power hiking is absolutely totally acceptable if the grade requires it. Yep. But if you and I are running up a hill and I decide I can't run at this anymore, but running slower isn't efficient, I have to power hike, it's not just easing off a little bit. You actually change everything from a, a, a run to a walk, and that's this huge shift in your mind. Mm-hmm. 
and then the gap really opens up. But if power hiking is required, there's not an energy difference. You don't get a relief from power hiking. You just go faster power hiking. Like when you're running up a steep mountain and you switch to power hiking, you know when you've made the right choice. It doesn't get easier. It just gets a little more efficient. Mm-hmm. But if you're using it as a break to escape the work, that mental choice of doing it opens the floodgates mm-hmm. because now that's that's your new decision that your body's going to leech out and grab every single time it presents itself. Well, and and from the top performers in Montana, even in the Beast, there wasn't one step of power hiking. I mean, none out of the winners, from what I understand from from intel I've heard. So um, there's your separator, folks. And yeah. you, you go, you you want to be inspired, right, to run uphill? Just go watch a video of Rhea Coble running uphill, <laughs> and understand that short, choppy, upright steps are so much more efficient. Um, in my opinion, even than a, 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 an efficient power hike, I still think that even if you're moving at the same rate with a big, strong power hike movement, or if you're running at the same rate with a short, choppy uphill stride. I think that uphill run is actually more efficient. I actually believe that power hiking is more costly most of the time when done at a, like an exertive level. So that's my experience. Yeah, there is certainly a grade and a terrain that requires it yep. and race distance that requires it, but it has to be a practiced motion. You cannot be efficient at it if you don't practice power hiking. Yeah. If you're talking an ultra race, you have to be good at power hiking. I watched a, um, I watched a video of myself somehow... Um, my girlfriend Jess and I were playing this game where we filtered through old photos and videos and clicked on one. And we had a fun with that last night. And one I landed on was me doing hill repeats in 2017. And somebody videoed me, my buddy, Nick, uh, car seat, Nick, Madison, Nick, uh, video me running up a little ski hill, which I thought was a big one at the time. And I have this like forward lean, like canter going uphill where I'm, I'm like very internal and I'm leaning forward and I'm lumbering and I'm so inefficient. And, and then I looked at a video, then I got curious and I looked at a video of myself like today in quotes, running uphill and I'm upright, tiny stride, good mechanics, tight corn hips. And it was like night and day difference in that. If you're an inefficient uphill runner, I understand the need to power hike, but, but if you're an efficient uphill runner now, which I've worked very hard to become, um, there's no choice. The choice is run. So uh, I found that interesting. We don't need to hone on that anymore, but it was it was one of the takeaways I, I heard from people this weekend. The hydration and nutrition point, though, you're right. It's inexcusable if you're a veteran. If you're new, you're going to miscalculate. But once you've been around and done it once in a race and a couple times in a workout, you know what your body needs. What are you going to miscal- What are you going to miscalculate? Hydration? Because you can't miscalculate fuel if you're not an idiot. Yeah. I, and that's harsh. That's tough love, but it's true. It's yeah. I mean, even if you guess wrong, it's enough to get through a race. What do you, so like miscalculation is choosing not to bring enough, not, not knowing how much you need. Again, if you've done any amount of research and practice with it, but it's run, the longer you run, the more fueling becomes as much of the competition as your fitness. And so it's just, I, I, I get maybe more than anyone else that I know, I get that disdain for carrying extra weight on course. I can't stand carrying a hydration pack. I can't stand heavy shoes. I can't stand, I can't even run in thick socks. I have to wear thin socks or I don't feel fast. So I understand that feeling of not wanting to, but once you start racing, you don't notice it. Mm -hmm. Totally. Once you bonk, 
an extra 16 ounces of water suddenly doesn't seem so heavy. You would kill for 16 ounces of water and electrolytes. My friend, uh, my friend TJ, who's running the, uh, he got, I, I mentioned my friend TJ a number of times. We had dinner with him and his wife this weekend. Um, and he was inspired by the Ross we- Weimer. Mm-hmm. Got it. Ross, hear that Weimer um, episode about, you know, the ultra. So he's running the Utah ultra beast and he's never gone further than a Spartan sprint. Um, anyways, he, he got a Solomon vest in and he was, um, and he was, uh, wearing it for the first time, whatever, with all the, he's a big guy and he had all the water on his chest and his front. And he said, I hate it. I hate it. I hate how this feels. It's the worst thing ever. And I said, I know it is. It feels so bizarre, but I'll tell you what, like once you're out on that race course and you're in the moment and you have all that with you, all that goes away because that supersedes everything, right? Being prepared on a fuel front. So, um, it's a common battle. It's a common battle, man. I I was watching the golden trail series couple weeks ago and you have these 120 pound 130 pound men and 90 pound women running up and down mountains with the same vest we wear the water weighs the same amount for them and they weigh half of our weight and they can handle it just fine Mm -hmm. and you know what with those vests side note when you're in a like a mountain race in particular with the up down that vest full of 32 ounces of water if you have 16 in each pouch when you're running flat and fast, you notice the jobbling and all of that more. But if you're going uphill or downhill, it's absolutely irrelevant. It feels like completely, uh, you, you don't even think about it, but it's, it's, the, it's the flats that might get you. But anyways, yes, fueling, hydration. The only excuse you can have is this. If you're running a two and a half to four, four hour race, it's simple, folks. Put 100 to 150 calories in your body every half an hour. And wash it down with a little bit of water and drink to thirst and you're going to be okay, like in general. So if you're missing the mark on any of those fronts, like you're just not paying enough attention to the time stamp and what you need to be doing. That's that simple, right? It is. And and once you go beyond three or four hours, then you the legitimate excuse pops up, which is my body's not handling 100%. what I'm putting in. 100%. Sure. But up until that point, and we have drinkable calories these days. If you don't want to chew, that's easy. I'm with you again. I can't chew on course. I drink my calories. And someone, someone that I work with uh, had, had a race coming up and they, she was asking about it. And she said, but the, the, the top end guys and girls, I never see them carrying anything. But actually, go back and look at these beasts and even some super distance, the 8 to 10 and then the 13 mile distance on the coverages. Check their waists. They all have some sort of waste pack going with some sort of hydration or nutrition system in there. It's not a big bulky thing they're carrying, but they know how much they need to get through and they carry it. Do you look at Johnny Luna Lima and Big Bear? What did he have? Tell me. He had, he had two bottles. Yep. He had a waste pack with two bottles. And one stuffed down his pants. And one in his pants. And they were full of liquid nutrition. So they were all, he was grabbing regular water quickly at the aid stations and he was putting liquid fuel in his body the entire time. You look at Ryan Atkins and he wears a waist belt at every single race. And he grabbed, now Ryan grabs water at the aid stations. That's Ryan's yes, approach. He does. But he's got his pack stuffed with food and gels. Yeah. So yes. Palmerton, um, super one year. I passed him early in the race, maybe 38 minutes into the race because he veered to a water stop while, while taking a gel. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a 75 to 90 minute race. I am not taking anything. And I zoomed right past, like, I'm, I'm taking this now. A couple miles later, we're going up a hill. 
I'm real low on power and he's going right past me. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. was that four seconds and eight ounces of uh, fuel to carry on me? Was that really worth it at this point? Yep. No, it was not. But it was, no, it was worth it for him to take the time. Yeah, it was not worth it for me to save eight ounces of weight. Not worth it. Oh, not at all. Mm-hmm. It's it's another one of those things you have to take on faith that you won't feel it once the race starts on course. Wearing a waist pack or a vest with some added fuel in there. Again, if you're going longer than 75 minutes, you're not going to feel it very much, but you will love it. And you can always, you can always uh, kind of hedge your bets. Just put an extra gel or two in there if you don't think you need it. That doesn't weigh anything to tuck that in a pocket. But if you need it, you head over to an aid station, you grab a cup and you take your gel. Or what I do is I bring an extra soft flask with my powder inside of it and I just roll it up tight and stuff it in my pocket. Mm. It weighs nothing. But if I'm in trouble, I can stop and in eight seconds, dump a bunch of water in there, put it on, shake it up while I'm running and I have another hour of fuel sitting right there. That's a good, yeah, it's a good point. That's like a good safety plan. Yeah, just have something. It doesn't cost you anything to have a backup. Uh huh. I think the takeaways um, from this, and then we got to get into, by the way, so we're, there's still like a direction we're heading with this. In a, kind of, yeah. Today's kind of a bullshit session, as I mentioned, but um, takeaways are this. And I think one of the biggest things is coming from a flatlander to racing the sport, and which requires all this uphill running. And now I'm going to say, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at it, right? It's been a lot. Been a lot of work it's been a lot of consistency over time um but i was in the shoes of the everyman folk who lives in a flat place and doesn't run mountains and then goes races spartan races and getting humbled right like that was me um is working the run mechanics no matter what all the time even if that means running at the same pace in which you could power hike at but keeping the run motion there's something to that that i think is powerful that people need to embrace and I think it comes from an efficiency standpoint. Walking perspectively would, in theory, sound easier. But from my personal experience, and maybe you can rebut me on this, I don't feel like that is the case. I feel like the run motion, tall upright, proper mechanics, small strides are less costly than an effortful power hiking motion. And so in my very biased personal study of one opinion, I think, that continuing the run motion in the longevity sense of a race is more energy conserving than succumbing to a power hike. And I'm firm on that in my own personal sense. How do you feel about that, Bracken? I disagree in theory, but I agree on the personal sense piece. Let's fight about it. I have been next to Ryan Atkins on a mountain where I'm running and he's hiking. He's a freak. But so this is what I'm getting to is that the personal sense is what matters. He has put his time in on the mountains. You have put your time in on the treadmill and on the ski hills. You guys have found what works for you where. And my, me, myself, at my best, I try to avoid power hiking at all, almost all costs. The longer the race, the more I'll, I'll accept it as a staying power tool. But there are certainly people out there and certainly races where you have to power hike. You just have to. But... Most people aren't doing races long enough and steep enough to need it. It's It needs to be a tool that is applied tactfully, which is I use it only when it's right, and I stop using it the second it's not right. It, because power hiking, it's easy to go 10 extra steps. The grade changes, and you should immediately be back, be back to a different stride, but you're not. 
and you lose time and lose time and then you lose that mental edge. So I agree with you and disagree with you at the same time. Let's arm wrestle over at Bracken. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll win that, Kirk. Yeah, right. I, you're a little husky right now, maybe. I will. But I have. I, oh, go ahead. Well, I will say I've heard, I've heard a, a couple of interviews with Lindsay Webster, for example, who um, she's a great climber, but there's others that can climb with her in the sport. She's a phenomenal descender. She's the best woman descender. I'll cut to Susanna. Uh, and Susanna, maybe Alyssa Hawley, potentially. But, um, but, but Lindsay says when it is a race in which requires power hiking, do you know what she does? Ten steps. She gives her, no matter what the terrain, no matter what the severity, she gives herself one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to ten, and then she has to go back into a running cadence. She limits it to ten, and that's her mental game. And I just think like that mental back and forth of the power hike is like a real noteworthy and justified conversation. Yeah, and the, the mental part of it is huge. It can't become a crutch. I have to use it as an interval system. Exactly. Yeah. Crutch. So my two big takeaways of preaching at people from watching these races are respect the duration and respect the vert. You have to respect those two things. There's no amount of fitness that changes your physiological needs for fuel hmm. or for water or for electrolytes. And there's no amount of fitness that changes the fact that you have to complete the vert on race day. Being in great shape doesn't diminish the vert. It means you can do it faster. That's it. So when when the Breaking 2 project happened for the marathon and Nike poured its billion-dollar labs into we are going to create the most effective shoe, apparel, training, and pacing strategy and wind blocking with, a, with that V formation of pacers, do you know what they prioritized next to shoes and in uh, pacing with wind blockers? They prioritized fueling. They tried to match up each individual athlete's GI preferences using DNA and biological markers to figure out what they can absorb best. Not, let's see how much we can cut out what you need. It was, let's see how much we can get into you without an issue. What was the strategy there, especially Eliud Kipchoge's um, fueling? Do you know that in particular? So on surface level, he fuels with Morton gels. Morton is like the most expensive... Right. Morton is like one of those things. It's like 10 bucks a gel. It's like a crazy, yeah. a crazy product, right? It's as good as it gets. Why? But uh, it's, it's got research behind it, which is costly. And it's got, it's sponsoring people like Eliud Kipchoge, which is costly. Yeah. It's, it's like Normatech versus Aerialax. Normatech sponsors NFL athletes. And so they pass that cost on down. Great product, but you're paying for their, their advertising. Aerialax does sound pretty nice, Bracken. I got myself a pair a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, you did. Bought it myself, though. Bought it myself. Um, anyways, the point of that being that even the high-end top fastest marathoners in the world prioritize figuring out how they can carry and, and uh, ingest fuel. They don't have to carry. They have special drink stations, but they don't worry about removing it. They they practice getting more in and all of them do liquid nutrition. They all have whatever gel or mix they have. It's all in a bottle. They all pick up bottles. No one rips anything apart because mm -hmm. they're working at such a high rate. Um, so when we talk about all this though, let's, let's dissect it, uh, dissect it a little bit. So we, we were breaking apart two things. One, we, I think we talked about the power hiking thing, like enough, <laughs> right? We don't need to arm wrestle over that anymore. And then we talk fueling. Um, any other nuances that you noticed this weekend other than like errant judgment? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, me, me either. I just think we talked about this in our ultra episode, what, a couple of weeks ago. And it was like, 
it, you really like you're only under fueling and people feel too little too late and they end up behind the eight ball. And once you're behind it, you can never get caught back up. So getting ahead of it, you don't want it early in the race. You don't want it. You don't want it. I never want it. Even late in a race, I don't want it. It's inconvenient, right? It's always inconvenient. Yeah. That's where you need to use your cerebral mind and, and suck it up. We, we've preached. We've we've been on the soapbox. We've talked about our takeaways. But I had one big takeaway from the past month, Kirk. Okay. And that is that we've had a lot of really intelligent questions about everything that we talk about. But one question I've been getting with more regularity is, you guys provide evidence for everything you talk about except compromised running. That you're always like, oh yeah, there's a study about this, or this science says this, or it shows this, or four millimole is the turning point of lactate lactate accumulation. But there isn't a number that you guys have applied to compromised running. You talk feeling and you talk anecdotal evidence. And they're right. Now, you and I firmly believe that compromised running is king. It's king when you apply it to OCR performance. Yes. In that regard, yes. And and I would say maybe even general trail running permits. Yes. I wouldn't run compromised workouts for someone trying to set a 1,500-meter PR. Yeah. But I believe you could set one while using it. So, Kirk, I talked to Lisa this weekend. I'm facing a big building stage anyway. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and make a wild statement and then try to back it up. This is the direction basically the entire podcast episode has been heading towards without you knowing it, right? Yeah. This all comes to a head with this. All the lessons we've learned, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. West Virginia Beast Spartan National Series race is in August. To August 28th. From right now until that race... I am not going to do a single quality workout that is not compromised. My polarized training, the 20% or 18 or 22, whatever comes out to be, will be entirely made up of compromised running. And along the way, I'm going to attempt to hit post-collegiate PRs in the mile and the 5K, and then also try to be a successful OCR and trail racer. Bracken, you're giving me anxiety. Anxiety. Like, I'm so anxious to see how awesome this study of one turns out. <laughs> no, no. Like, I mean, yes. But like you're going to crash and burn anxiety or you're putting too much on the line for for a test that, that a small section of this population cares about. Yes and yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I've announced it. I also have some caveats. With, I want to announce the rules of it that I have self-decided for our our longitudinal study of one. Hold on, hold on. Can I stop you for a second? Yes. Stop, stop it, Bracken. All right. I I don't still understand. I was chatting with Lisa, and then I decided to only do compromised quality work until West Virginia. I'm not satisfied with that decision-making process. You understand? Like, I want to understand. I want to understand more of the inner workings. Yeah. Of the decision. Well, we got to go back to the first time I was criticized for saying that compromised running mixed modality workouts are a secret weapon in training the very first time i i got really self-conscious and i didn't have anything to fall back on i had no science to back it up other than i know what i feel during a race and why would i not train to the test we're talking specifically for ocr right now but for mountain racing as well trail racing i believe it carries over very very well but i didn't have anything i could do other than yeah well i think this i feel it got to be real i feel it man hey, your feelings are valid man whatever you feel is valid man you feel it it's real yeah but i'm trying to apply it to everyone else too and 
And so the criticism was valid. But since then, we've had several athletes, Nicole Miracle, Ian Hosick, um, to some extent, Richard Diaz, uh, people who have said, we prefer training in a vacuum. Train your strength as your strength, train your running as running, and we're just going to combine it on race day, and you'll be working at submaximal capacity in both, and so they're going to play well off each other. And I've always thought, yeah, that sounds good, but I'm not buying it. And my response is, you don't have any science to back that up either. You mm -hmm. have science that strength training in a vacuum works for strength and that running in a vacuum works for running, but there is no evidence out there that vacuum-style training works for OCR at a higher rate than any other style. We don't, we are a young sport and the compromised running portion of it has not been adequately tested. And I mean, we were talking off mic, our, our plan is to retire doing this at 90 years old. Like we're gonna be preaching this stuff for the next 50 years. And so we might as well get started on proving it mm. right now. So that's, that's what this stemmed from is, I'm tired of the burden of proof being on me to prove that it doesn't work when the other side hasn't proved that it does work. Only we've all proved it in examples of one. So I'm gonna start with actually putting numbers to an example of one, which is me. And then I'd like to open it up and write people's training for them with a high percentage of compromised running and test it out long-term on them as well. But I'm not gonna practice anything I don't preach, and so I'm gonna start with me. Granted, this experiment works. Well, I've never gone entirely. I've always, we, we believe That's in the balanced saying. approach. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I thought you were saying I already know it works. Well, well, you know it works, but you've never gone all in for five Correct. months or four months on that specific, yeah. Vitamin. So here's what we know. If you did nothing but running training and strength training, a high percentage of people would still fail on race day. So if I go all in on the other end, will a high percentage of people still fail? So that's what I'm going to start with. I still believe that the, the best model is mixed. You have to have balance. But I'm going to forego that and prove that if you can do it with no balance, imagine what you can do with balance. Bracken, has anybody ever called you a sign? No. A dreamer? Yes. <laughs> I'm a dreamer, Kirk. Scientific dreamer. Listen, let's look at the facts, okay, Bracken? Let's look at the facts. Okay. You made um, a butthole exploding pre-workout. <laughs> oh no we do have data <laughs> you've you've tinkered with that right yeah. right you, you you put a methodical study as far as the the pre-workout then you methodically and scientifically went through your shoe experiment scientist right and now you're giving the people the compromised running experiment Yes. That's three scientific experiments in the last year of your life in which will impact what you do and what you influence the greater population with. Huh? You understand that, right? Yeah, and we're we're obviously banking on this being more super shoe than butthole experiment. I'm I'm banking on super shoe the whole way, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so so this is it. And I want to I want to talk about the parameters of my study of one which then will lead to the study of as many people as want to volunteer to get free coaching from me to prove people who have not done compromise training in the past. That'll be down the road after August. Okay. Uh, I, I'm still, I, I'm still not fully satisfied. You're, You're not, not ready to hear the parameters. No, I want you to stop that. I, you know how when we interview guests and we're like, they give us an answer and then we're like, this is, we're scratching the surface and we got to dive deeper into this. Right. All right. 
We're like, I'm not satisfied, Rhea Coble. You just brushed over your gymnast career in five seconds. And then we spend the next hour talking about it, right? When they were ready to brush it over. To borrow your line, that's fair. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. So allow me to satisfy you, Kirk. I would love for you to, I would love for you to satisfy me. <laughs> All right. So I don't, for you to come up with this off a conversation with Lisa, to to change um, to, to change the trajectory of the thing you care the most about, which is performance and training other than your family, to have this big culmination that you're willing to take a, an experiment this large with something that you take seriously that we talk about every week on this podcast, which is fitness and performance. Mm-hmm. And for you to just do that and commit to that, there's something I'm not we haven't quite discussed yet with like whatever inner workings of this all. Okay. Do you, do you get what I'm getting at? Yeah. There's yeah. a professional side and there's a personal side. Yeah. That's what I want to dive into. So the professional aspect is that one qualm I've always had are people leading studies in areas that are not their expertise. Okay. So back when I was at Whitewater, there was the, um, the human health and performance degree that you'd always have these study these these uh, grad students that would call in people from teams, and oftentimes it was the track or cross country team, and they'd test out the, on ergometers or other things, and they'd be testing all these, these performance theories in a sport that they know nothing about. Now, I love the idea that they are testing things out, but it followed their passion, but their passion wasn't aligned with their, their background and their talent, if that makes sense, athletically. So I love the idea of scientific minds taking interest in athletic studies, but the studies are always flawed because you either can't get the athletes in that you want to test properly, or you yourself are not in the mindset of that athlete. And so you can't quite test it correctly. That doesn't mean all studies, but a lot of studies I read, you read the abstract and you're like, oh man, this person, they already have an issue with what they're doing. And so I don't want that, that to be present in ours. And one of the greatest ways I think to test something out is to first do it on yourself. And so if I really do want to do this, I'd love to get, you know, dozens of people who have never done compromised running and follow a compromised um, infused training plan and get their results. I have to go through and feel every single one of those workouts long-term myself first. So that's the professional side. I really do want to stake my claim in my long-term career on the effectiveness of compromised running on endurance athletes. Not, And I think that there is a carryover into tr- multi-sport, into mountain racing, into standard, even just bulletproofing and stay power for marathoners. I, I believe fully in it, but I don't want to believe blindly. And so if I really do want this to be the trajectory of my career as a coach, as a writer, as a speaker, we have to start laying down the foundation of actual scientific evidence rather than just, I think, I feel, I say. So that's the professional side. That's fair. Personal side is I am aimless, uh, Kirk. Uh, yes. Oh, did you have something you wanted to say? Well, no, I was just going to say um, that uh, compromised running, I believe, was my term, so I get 25%. <laughs> I always called it fatigued running, and that's – I cringe even saying it now. Compromised running so much better. If I get nothing else out of our partnership, that term is the greatest thing we've ever made together. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, we can't make babies, so that would be the second best. Uh, um, 25%, Bracken. 10. Money's no concern. 30. Deal. <laughs> All 
I like it. Continue. But personally, I am aimless. I am passionless. Not passionless, but I'm. I have no direction right now, Kirk. Wait, what do you, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean you have no direction right now? The stadium series is clearly not going to happen. Spartan Cross is a rumor that's drifting through the wind, but there's nothing tangible in sight. Uh, my only path to Abu Dhabi is through Tahoe, which I don't know if I'm passionate about training towards. I don't have a race that excites me right now. I'm excited about chaining together weeks and months of fitness to get to the point where now I feel nasty in, 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 in running. And the next race that does excite me, I have earned the right to full steam ahead pursue. So I don't have a, a big beacon goal to chase after right now. Well, the best thing about that is that you're you're excited by the process. I love, and you know me, I'm a process person. Well, yeah, but that that's the foundation of everything. That's the foundation of every goal is the day-to-day, -day, the hour-to-hour, -hour, the actionable pieces within um, our training cycles. So in that sense, you're not lost, Bracken. <laughs> you said you were lost, but you're not lost. You're very actually found. I'm, I'm found, but I have no direction to be, I'm like a loaded gun that wants to be pointed at something. And there's no target anywhere. There's no target. Got it. So I used to think that I trained so that I could race. That's why I was excited. And what I've come to realize since surgeries is that I sign up for races so that I have direction for the process. Mm -hmm. I'm a process person and the race gives me something to focus and build a specific process towards. And I don't have that. I have a goal of fitness at the end, but there's a lot of different ways to build fitness. So I'm just going to prepare through compromised running, a giant build of compromised running. All right. Test out every single compromise workout I've ever written, try to write more, try to tweak them, refine them. And by the time we get to August, I am totally sold and I have these dozen solid bulletproof compromised workouts that I know will correlate to these different goals of people. And now we can start testing. And along the way, in theory, get in monster shape and set some post-collegiate PRs. All right. So that means that there's no such thing as like a tempo run without compromised bouts. You're not going to go out and run seven miles at threshold. Nope. You... Anytime that you're swinging the hammer hard in your 20% of the 80-20 principle, there will be some broken fatigue component to what you're doing. No exceptions, even race week. You, you will only be approaching your training every time. Like, understand the gravity. This is like telling somebody that I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And then saying that you need to eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for the next four months, right? That's That sounds great in theory because PB&J is the best, folks. We all know that. But when you're four days into the PB&J train and the Uncrustables are wearing a little thin, you're in. That's dramatic. No, it's not dramatic. I'm not talking well, about some like diabolical carbon monoxide suffering like you did in our last episode. I'm talking about PB&J. It's not dramatic. Here are the parameters of my quote unquote <laughs> study, Kirk. I want to break holes in this. I want to, I want you to fight for it. So first of all, it's going to be done by what we preach, which is polarized training. So let's just say 80, 20. Okay. The 80% will be entirely normal. All my aerobic work will be straight, unbroken, normal, aerobic, traditional running. The 20% will be entirely compromised. Yep. With these exceptions, races. Fine print. Races, like a like a non OCR race, for example. Correct, a trail race, a five k, uh, 
a marathon, any any race I enter, a triathlon, I guess that would be compromised running. Yeah. But any race I enter, if I pay to enter, I'm allowed to follow the confines of that race. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I get to sign up for a Tuesday-Saturday race every week <laughs> and tempo it and run it as a quality session. But I'm allowed to run races, and I'm allowed to do skill work, strides. Um, I would say if I wanted to do overspeed training, like 150 or 200-meter downhill intervals, that's allowed to be done as a skill work because I don't see any benefit or safety to bombing a 200 meter at like 3% slight grade on pavement after having done burpees right before it. What could you do like a, um, like a two mile sandwich, two mile tempo, three miles of OCR work, two mile tempo. That's called a split tempo and that is absolutely acceptable. Okay. Well, that's what, that's what I'm asking the fringe questions, right? Yeah. So the only two clear caveats are I can race and I can do skill work, strides, downhill accelerations, things like that. I can add finishers to a workout. One of our favorite. I could do a dog loop and then add in four by 200 or a, a 3k time trial or something like that. But, oh, sorry. And time trials. I'm allowed to run time trials during it. So time trials, races, and skill work. And I think five the five k time trial is going to have to be a necessity if the, if you're going to prove your worth here with this concept. I'm going to have to jump into a race because I can't PR without it. But yeah, I will be time trialing, racing, and doing a small amount of skill work. But that skill work, if we're talking eighty twenty, it'll be like eighty nineteen one, maybe even less. I'm not committing to this right now, but um, I haven't done a compromised run workout since the week and a half before Vegas. Okay which was mid-March. So we're a month and a half later. I have not done one compromise workout in six weeks. Um, I don't know what I'm getting myself into here, but part of me wants to, I believe in compromise running through and through. But if we're going to be the yin to the yang or whatever the hell the saying is, if I just keep this non-compromise train rolling <laughs> and then show up to races and see what happens, that would be a confusing sort of battle, wouldn't it? It really would be. I have no intent to do that, by the way, but I could. Good. I could. All right. Well, um, but I wanted I to announce this to, and I want you to shoot holes in it, but I wanted to announce this to you this week because on Friday I drive up to Minneapolis. And so anything we do together, I have to infuse a little bit of compromised into it because it starts mm -hmm. this morning. That's right. So Bracken's coming to Minneapolis this weekend. We're going to hit a workout together. And I can't cheat. If you're like, yeah, we're going to do a 60-minute a hill workout, I can't be like, all right, at 30 minutes, I'm going to drop and do five burpees, and then we're going to continue on. That's not a compromised workout. You can start next Monday, Bracken. I'm kidding. No, I agree. I, I like what you're doing here. All right, I'll have to take that into consideration because I, I had a non-compromised workout in mind. Did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got exactly the spot, location, vert, uh, all that. All right. Um so how are you going to update the people on this? What, what, how are we going to, how are we going to see, here's, here's where, here's where this gets cloudy. Okay. Mm -hmm. You show up at Highlander assault at night and you haven't been running much. And then it's a race you should win by a minute, but you lose by 30 seconds. How, let's say in the future you show up to a, a, a race and it's not your day because your calf fucks up again or something. Not saying that's going to happen, but. How do we how do we objectively monitor this? Is it solely based on runtime trials, or do we have to put more stock into your race performances on the OCR scene? And now the gravity of every time you tow an OCR line is very much more weightful. Well, first of all, I 
personally think that the greatest proving ground for compromised running would be standardized races. 100%. I agree with that. Because A, it should work for OCR because that's the test you're teaching to. And B, OCR races, there's so many factors that can go right or wrong that you can easily prove or disprove something without actually validating anything. So here's what I think. July 4th, for the last two years, I've run a one mile road race. I will run that as one of my fitness markers. Okay. I will run a road 5k. I will run my nine mile um, with 700 feet of vert trail loop. I will run the lake path around Lake Geneva. And those will be my standard race slash time trial metrics that I am looking to do because those are the four I've done the most in my post-collegiate life. I've run a lot of 5Ks. I've run a lot of road miles. I've run that blue loop at the at the Nordic trails a lot of times. And I've run around the lake a lot of times. I, I like it. Um, and yeah, we'll take into account race performance. It'll be nice to have those as markers, but they are not they're so far out of the vacuum that they can't really be used to prove or disprove. Well, there's a lot of subjectivity there unless you win. If you win, we can make it as objective as we feel like. Bracken Cracker shows up to Ohio and wins and only does come West Virginia. Yeah, well, let's just say you're going to Ohio. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying like there's going to be races before that. Yeah. So my historical record of racing is out there and my – my my racing and performance is all on Strava and Athlink. So it gets going to be very clear if I'm, I would say if I even match anywhere close, like within a second or two of my mile and my five seconds of my 5K off only compromised, that that already is a win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I, if I beat any of my times, that's, that's a fantastic, but if I even get close off it, I think that's a win. Part of me thinks that, um, I know I didn't realize how low mileage you're running. Obviously, what you had spoken of earlier, I had no, I had no idea, Bracken. Um, part of me thinks we should 5K time trial on Saturday, and then oh my goodness, <laughs> together I'll do it. Get a baseline, and then and then hit the trails. The problem is near the trails. There's no. It's a hilly area of the con the country, so there's nowhere flat unless we find a local high school track. We could find some place to do it and then drive over to the trail for our long extended chat cooldown. I mean, if we're going to do this scientist, we need to have a, uh, a you know, a, a, baseline. Base, a baseline. So it neither needs to happen. Uh, that's if we're going to do it, if you're going to do it, I'm not trying to pick holes in this, but I'm trying no, to, I want you to, I'm trying to objectify it. So there needs to be a start point and you, and you 5k time trialed like a year ago. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to pull up Strava right now and check what I did in that mile last year. Okay, you were in 424. I just want to make sure we have the exact number. All right, July. Okay, what is it? Fourth. Oh, it didn't happen last year because of COVID. It was 2019. <laughs> I did some sort of a compromise run that. Oh, I did the, I did the beer mile. <laughs> I did the running public beer mile last year. That's what it was. All right, July 4th, 425. So my post. 2020? No, 2019. Yeah, oh, two years ago, yeah. 425 on a road mile. I'll run the exact same course this year. Okay, that's great. Great. My post-collegiate road 5K is 1542. Okay. My uh, blue loop is, I want to say 5920 or 5930 on that seven-mile, no, nine-mile uh, trail loop. With some vert. Yeah, yeah, you're always going up or down, and it's all off-road. It's in the Kettle Marine. 
So 59 low on that for a nine mile. I'll get the exact numbers up. We'll make a post about it to keep us accountable. Uh, going around Lake Geneva. I Keep us accountable? Me, myself, and I. Okay, yeah. Oh, you three. Okay, got it. The three of us. <laughs> and then going around the lake is right around 3.30, uh, 2.30. That's 19 miles or something? 21.27, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, give or take a hundredth, yeah. Yeah. So those are the four metrics I'm going to go after off just compromised running. All right. I like it. How can I contribute to this experiment? Do you want me to just encourage you or? Yeah, I, I pick holes in it. I think that's the best thing people can do is find things you're doing wrong. But also, I think everyone will keep me accountable. I'm going to put from here, from this morning on, every single workout I do will be on Strava, fully public and visible. Yeah, your stuff's always, you're never on Strava. It drives me nuts. I know. So starting right now when we sign off this and I go for my next workout, every single thing I see will be on there. And if it's not using a GPS, like on a treadmill, I will manually enter it. And I will be 100% honest and transparent with every work I do. And I will specify when I do skill work on there. So you can see how much I'm truly doing that's not compromised. So when Bracken Cracker runs 10-minute pace for a four-mile run, you will explain why you ran 10 minute pace for a four mile run with the nuances and the intricacies of your workout. In I'll title everything either easy recovery or quality. Okay. And quality we'll have to guess. I'll explain it all. Okay. But it'll each, the, the title of everything, it'll say easy run 40 minutes, or it'll say quality run split tempo with, and then in the description, I'll say exactly what I did for everything. Okay. And what is your, um, what is your anticipated outcome of this experiment? I mean, I know the answer to this, but why don't you talk it out? Your anticipated outcome is what? I anticipate that I will feel really strong in my running, that my form, my stride will feel very sturdy, strong, and sustainable. I feel like I'll have good state power and I will be lacking a little bit of get up and go. I think, but if I can balance it with strides and if I can do enough high intensity downhills, I might be able to stave that off. What it's going to force me to do is be really, really intentional with every workout I do. Can we commit to something for me? Because my small brain needs to wrap my mind around this even better. Okay. Is can we commit to, because here's the thing, you have long runs in there, right? There's some subjectivity there. Like I'm going to go for a long run. Well, you just said, well, I'm going to do my recovery runs, like a recovery run, da, 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 no compromise, which I understand, but we didn't address long runs. I'm only going to do easy long or quality long. Okay. So quality long means compromise then in yep. some capacity. All right. So so can we commit to twice a week doing compromised work in some capacity so people can understand, like so we can simplify this even more is what I'm getting at. Okay. That's something I haven't thought about because I had uh... – I you get where I'm going doing the nine or 11 day, but then it will look sporadically. But if I could commit to all my Tuesdays and Saturdays, are going to line up and you can watch it nicely. Or two per cycle, whatever, whatever I'm asking. Yes. Should we just stick to two quality workouts per week until West Virginia? Yeah. And if I add something in, I add it in, but I, I announce though that I'm doing it. Yes. I, I think for me, like, my simpleton mind needs to like just be like, oh, Bracken's doing two compromised quality workouts a week until West Virginia, no other quality. And now I'm satisfied with that. Then I can be like, oh, I get it. It's simple. He's only doing this twice per week until West Virginia. So that would make that would make the con conceptualization of this clear. Okay, sure. I will commit to two quality compromised workouts per week through West Virginia. Starting today. Oh, right away. All right.
Bracken, I don't want to do compromise Saturday workout. That wasn't part of the plan, Bracken. With that, there obviously is going to be flexibility because if I jump into races, things happen. Or should we start next week so I can get time trials done this week? Hmm, time trials are important. Yeah. Okay, so we will start the moment time trials finish. Yep, whatever, whenever that is. Yes, I agree. I need to get a baseline in that 5K, and I will do a baseline of my 9-mile. I would like a baseline 5K, and I would like a baseline hour proximity hour-long stay power. Yeah, that's that nine mile. I'm not going to baseline the 21 miler and I'm not going to baseline the mile. I love that. Love it. Okay. So I will do 5k with you this weekend. I don't know. I don't feel like running a 5k this weekend, Bragan. You can just watch. <laughs> you can probably do it at high end aerobic next this week. Uh, this whole episode, Bracken, is literally us chatting out shit that normally we don't chat out on an episode. This yeah. is more of like a behind the scenes conversation, I feel like. I think Do so. you agree with that? Yeah. I hope that somebody gets something out of this. I don't know what it will be, but I'm just realizing how we're chatting here. And I, I don't know if I want a 5K this weekend, but maybe I should. I think I'm ready to go sub 16. Oh my God. So if that's the case, I think I can, I think, I think within me is sub 16 right now. I'm going to try to run 17 low. Well, then we're going to be on different universes, Bracken. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what? I'm not going to try to run anything. I'm going to try to run hard. How about that? I don't want to set a limit. All right. Limitless, Kirk. I'm limitless. That's a drug. It's a movie based off a drug, Limitless, Bracken. Have we not discussed the doping component to to the study? No. (laughs) Everything I can get my hands on. Really? All right. You got, what's his name? What the fuck's that Studley guy's name from Limitless? I'm Bradley losing. Cooper. Bradley, so you're going to do the Bradley Cooper Limitless pill? Yep. Yeah, well, it's, you could do whatever then. You could do jumping jacks and get better at the 5K. <laughs> <laughs> <That's true. laughs> All right. I like it. I like where this is going, Bracken. I don't know. I'm very excited to oh, see how this Also, yeah. I will not run the 5K or the mile in super shoes. Oh, yeah, That's good. important. I'm going to use as close to the model of shoe that I set the PR in the, the first time. So I ran my 5K, uh, that 1542, I ran it in Nike Lunar Racers. So I okay. actually still have one is pair. That the, is that the shoe right over your left shoulder? The you pink shoe? No, that's the streak. I don't know what happened to my Lunar Racer. I must have taken them down for something. They're not up here right now. Uh, Bracken, uh, Bracken replaced one shoe on his shoe wall behind him. And the first thing I said when he hopped on was your shoe wall is different, right? Yeah, and it's the one shoe I'm looking for right now. One shoe got changed, and you changed out the shoe you're talking about for the Hoka Evo Speed Goat, which is a good shoe. Yeah. So I will run it either the 5K, either in the Lunar Racer, if it's still viable. Otherwise, I will use the Sketcher Razor 3, which is the closest shoe in production right now to the Lunar Racer. Okay. And then the mile I ran in the Skechers Speed, um, GoMeb Speed 5. I still have the 5. I also have the 6. Neither has a carbon plate. So it will be in one of those two Skechers. So I'm not going to, and on the trails, I won't use anything crazy either. I set my my 9-mile PR in the Hoka Challengers. So I will use the Challenger ATRs for that as well. And around the lake, I don't remember if I use the Evo Speed Goat or the Challenger. I'll go back and look it up, and that's the one I'll use. It's bulletproof. I can't pick any holes in this plan, Bracken. Not now you've satisfied my curiosity. And this will not be about proving the training in a vacuum style wrong. I have nothing against that theory. I just want to prove our theory correct. Well, this theory is correct. I already know that. I want to prove that you can become a better overall runner with it, not just a better overall OCR athlete. It'd be super helpful if both of us were on board with that plan, wouldn't it? 
I don't think so. I may, I mean, it, it wouldn't be bad, but I also don't want to force it upon you. What I do want to do is gather all the best workouts and do them so much that I refine them better and then give it out to people afterwards in a long-term trial of really good periodized compromised run infused training. Fair. So you're welcome, but I will not, I will not require your assistance. All right. I gotta, I gotta rejig my week here to, to accommodate your stupid plan. Now, when you come to visit, (laughs) well, what if I did my 5k Wednesday and then come out to you for this weekend? Because I'm not going to start this until I'm done time trialing. So I still have it in my schedule to meet up with you and do whatever workout you wanted this weekend. I I do intend to time trial because I'm curious because I need to stroke my ego a little bit. But um, I do think you should time trial before you come. Okay. Yeah. Because I have a a plan for us this weekend. So Is Wednesday too close to this weekend? No, because I'll probably do my quality workout Wednesday this week. All right. I'm going to run a 5K time trial at McCarty Park on Wednesday. Love it. All right. What actionable things can we give away from this episode? Oh, that was all in the first half hour. Go back and re-listen. <laughs> <laughs> respect the distance, respect the vert, and respect the fueling requirements of a long race. These are the chats, folks, that Bracken and I have, like I would say twice a week before or after our episodes, we chat like this. Mm-hmm. Probably as intently, probably as intensely, probably as, in, as intricately as this in some regard. So I guess this is just sort of a A view behind the curtain. And what you aren't hearing, um, by the way, folks, is that we had a 20 minute intermission in the middle of this episode that will be cut out where Bracken and I went on such a tangent together that we believed it couldn't be involved in the episode because it was too personal about the top secret stuff we have going on with our lives and business, the running public. So this literally is like a chunk out of a normal conversation. On our website, I wrote our description of why the podcast exists is that we'd have these conversations and one day we just said we should be recording this. Mm-hmm. So this is an example of just recording what Kirk and I talk about on a daily basis. You're not going to keep the 20 minutes in where we had our tangent. Correct. Right? No, that's too personal. Yeah, it was too personal. We were, we were too we were too connected there, Bracken, in our life situation. Um all right, guys, here's two, here's two things as we wrap this up. Um, thanks for listening, by the way. Very, very interested to see your, your experiment play out, Bracken. Um, all right, so like I, I go and buy T-shirt with my own money out of my own bank account, and then I count on you guys buying them, right? So I get my money back, and then I, like, I don't have to eat ramen noodles every day for every, every meal. So, so I got a room full of T-shirts still. And they are going. You guys have bought most of them, but not all of them. And I need you to go, if you're thinking about it, go buy some T-shirts from therunningpublic.com, right? Click on shop and then go to the the page and buy our T-shirts. Maybe I'll upgrade myself from ramen to gluten-free macaroni and cheese every meal. I don't know if we get enough orders through, okay? So go and do that. Also, the running public training plan. I have no shame in promoting this because it's fucking awesome and it's great and it's going to make you better. Right, Bracken? Absolutely. Right. And it's basically free, right? It's a charity service that we're running. And we ask you to pay the maintenance fee to keep it afloat, right? So the website hosting fees and Bracken's time chomping on the keyboards, right? So go get on that. For a Netflix cost per month, you get what other people give away as quote unquote personalized endurance OCR training. And I just updated the strength plan. 
uh, this week, which was much more run specific. Bracken, you had a chance to look at it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're getting into race mode. We're getting we're getting things changed up. That's five bucks a month. Like, don't be don't be silly, right? Like, just do it. Just buy it. Unless you're broke, right? Then I guess just listen to us and steal our advice. And then also, on top of that, um, we have not asked for a rating or review on our podcast in forever. And we haven't had any in forever. And we're working hard for you. Doing this every day. Taking time out of our day. Bracken's putting his whole life on hold to do an experiment for six months. (laughs) That's dramatic again. But I accept. So could you go and give us a review or a rating or something? Just, just so we know that somebody's hearing us and that, and that you are approving or disapproving of what we're putting out there. Generally, we have 2,000 people roughly downloading the first 24 to 48 hours. We have 222 reviews, which is a lot of reviews for a podcast that's less than two years old. But mathematicians would say that that's right about 10% of our listeners have given a review. Some of you freeloaders are listening and not reviewing. Shame on you. Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're, this is like a telethon right now right now you could just reach out from your home and you could change the life of two boyishly charming young men mm. just click right out and leave a review bracken i've already done my part and left a review on our own podcast Did you? way back in the beginning a donald don 83 if you want to look it up my donald my don 83 my middle name is Donald, so Donald Don eighty three was my username. Go back and look at it. It was from like our first week in this podcast. Were you our Were you our one star review? No, I gave us five. We have we have like four four star reviews, four three star reviews, one two star, and one one star. I accept the four. You sure? I accept the three. I disagree with the two, but whatever. But a one star review means there's someone that doesn't like us personally and i'd love to know who it is i'm offering a 50 dollars gift certificate <laughs> to outback steakhouse <laughs> to anyone who can come forward with identifying information about the one star review lever all right that's going to be our one request we make this year and buy our training plan and buy our t-shirts and leave us a review you guys got a busy afternoon after listening to this okay take take care of it what did, what did lisa tell you before we hopped on this podcast bragging we need to promote ourselves more often yeah so lisa this is your fault thanks lisa anything else peace